This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. You've got Drew Carter and Dana Boyle with you. Thanks for hanging out with us on the first hour. Here we are 8 o'clock Eastern time, and this show is jam-packed. We've already had a good bagel debate. We've talked about Panera. We've talked about Billy Joel, and there is plenty more to come. We're an hour away from revealing the ACC Baseball Awards for the 2022 season. Player of the Year, Pitcher of the Year, Coach of the Year, etc., and the All-ACC first, second, and third teams. We're going to reveal those here on ACC Network, not seen by anyone but us, which, again, a lot of responsibility. <laughs> Cannot believe we've been entrusted with this. I kind of feel like we're at the Oscars and they handed us the envelope where it says Moonlight won Best Picture and they actually said La La Land. You remember that, Dana? I'm, I'm nervous. I, I'm letting you handle the baseball intros because I'm afraid that I'm going to give it away. Um, I don't know if I'm uh, mature enough to handle that sort of information. <laughs> <laughs> I promise neither one of us is mature enough. Just uh, delete that email and uh, we'll handle it in an hour, get it out of the trash folder. So that's coming up at nine. We've got some great interviews coming up as well. Half an hour from now, Sydney Scales of Boston College, one of their best defensive players, will join the show. An hour after that, Andy Aldave from North Carolina. Also on championship weekend, it could be UNC, BC matching up in the championship game if they get through their Big Ten opponents uh, in the semifinals. We've got good interviews coming up. We'll also talk with the ACC Player of the Year in Baseball and the Coach of the Year in Baseball. So all that is coming up, but it's now 8 o'clock on a Monday, which means it's time for Best of the Weekend. And Dana, let's start with the Who's. We talked about the fact that their men's lacrosse team got crunched by Maryland over the weekend and their season is over. But how about an NCAA title going to Charlottesville? NCAA men's tennis champions for the fifth time since 2013. So who's just winning trophies? Deani Ross, tournament MVP. The Cavaliers, they swept Kentucky in the championship match. You said it, fifth national title in program history. And all five of their titles have come since 2013 season, which is extremely impressive. When you think of Virginia, you have to think of tennis. Tennis is in that category. Um, Andres Pedroso hired in May of 2017, and he, he really set the standard very early in his career. I remember I was working in the athletic department at the time, and he got the number three recruit in the nation, Gianni Ross, who then flashback or, or fast forward more so to, to now, and he's the tournament MVP. So he's a great recruiter. He's done really good things for the culture of Virginia tennis um, and really, really happy for the Who's. Was this part of the master plan for UVA? Like, are you uh, involved in the master plan? Can you reveal that or is that confidential? Uh, that's confidential. Um, I am mature enough to handle that information. Um, uh, um, but no, I mean, it helps the master plan. I mean, hey, you win a trophy, you win a natty. That helps with fundraising. It does. It has to. You guys have to know that calling anything master plan makes it sound very evil and like you're doing an evil laugh in one of these whenever you talk about it. But master plan or not, Virginia NCAA men's tennis champs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dana is not part of the evil plan, uh, publicly at least, but Virginia <laughs> Maybe, national yeah, champs for the fifth time in the last. <laughs> Good for the Who's. They win another national title in men's tennis. Uh, let's go to the softball diamond where three ACC teams are moving on to super regionals. Four teams hosted regionals in Clemson, Duke, and Virginia Tech are all moving on. Clemson and Duke 
both fairly new programs. The Tigers, you know, last year was their first full season, ACC regular season champs. Duke in year five of their program's existence, moving on to the Super Regionals. And Virginia Tech is the best of any of these teams, the third overall seed. Uh, They got a scare in their regional, but they're moving on as well. So shout out to the ACC in softball, not considered a traditional powerhouse in this sport, but they're becoming Mm -hmm. one. I think it's awesome, too, to see a lot of the programs in their infancy, like a Clemson, you know, they got to play at home in a new stadium in front of their fans. I think that gave them a lot of juice and it's fun to watch. I mean, I told you at the beginning of the show, I wasn't really a softball fan until about a year ago, but I've been watching this weekend and they are so impressive. You know, they've got a lot of great athletes, strong student athletes, like strong females, power guns, crushing the ball out of the stadiums. It's awesome. It is a great sport, especially for TV. Um, it, it's a blast to watch. And if you have not yes. been following the NCAA softball tournament, this is a perfect time to get involved with Super Regionals. Virginia Tech, by the way, they got the scare I mentioned. They also played Kentucky. So Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, the Commonwealth of Kentucky ha- wants nothing to do with the Commonwealth of Virginia for the foreseeable future. Men's tennis or softball, UVA or Virginia Tech, they don't want the smoke from Virginia. <laughs> So those three teams move on to the Super Regionals. And now Florida State. Now Florida State is the noted omission here. FSU is the two seed in the tournament. They don't move on to the Super Regionals. We'll get to that a little bit in Worst of the Weekend. What a season for FSU. Mississippi State, huge upset. All the credit in the world to the Bulldogs. But FSU, as you see, wins their 100th NCAA tournament game. And I think... Dana, this is the program that's been the cream of the crop in the ACC. And we talk about, you know, this conference taking a leap in softball. This is a, a sort of symbolic that FSU falls, but they still win their 100th NCAA tournament game. And you got to love the Twitter game from FSU. This is on point. <laughs> Tallahassee Fire Department shows up to the complex to watch some softball. I love it. I was listening to some softball analysts and they had Florida State pick to probably advance in the ACC to the College World Series. So for them to not make it, I know, is a, is a huge hit um, to the program. But they've established themselves. They have a legacy at Florida State with softball. Danielle Watson is phenomenal. She threw her first career no-hitter in the NCAA tournament. So not the season probably that they wanted to have at the end. But I was listening to some of the press conferences, and, and the, their coach is proud of them. Um, so it's something to build off for next year. It's not the end of the world. You know, come back next year a little stronger, a little more motivated. Um, and I think – FSU softball, they're, they're not done yet. Well, Dana, I totally agree. And you mentioned Danielle Watson with her first career no-hitter. Pretty good time to do it in the NCAA tournament. As FSU, yes, they fall in the regionals. They don't advance out of Tallahassee. But certainly bright spots for the Seminoles, and they will be back, like you said. Now, Danielle Watson, not the only ACC hurler to throw a no-hitter in the NCAA tournament over the weekend. How about Keeley Rochard putting the K in Keeley, 17 strikeouts in a no-hitter against St. Francis. Keeley Rochard is unbelievable. If you have not watched her pitch, she's lights out, and Virginia Tech needed her against Kentucky in that two-game set yesterday. Keeley Rochard came in and, in relief, slammed the door on the Wildcats. Keeley Rochard is spectacular. Have you had a chance to watch Keeley pitch, Dana? Yes, and she is beast mode. Something that I've taken away from watching softball as a fan, and I have 
zero experience playing softball other than, you know, adult league, um, which isn't quality softball, um, is the pitching is really important. It's similar to lacrosse, how the goalie play is really important. If you have a good pitcher who can set you up for success and, and has that confidence on the mound, good things happen. And, and certainly Keely Richard is one of those. She is a beast. I mean, we got to put a radar gun on that pitch. What do you think? 85, nine. What do, what do you think the speed is? I think she's probably in the lower 70s, which is like crazy high for softball. And based mm-hmm. on where the mound is, um, it, it probably looks like 95 to 100 compared yes. uh, to like Major League Baseball. But what I really want to talk about, Dana, is uh, the softball league you're in. What are, is this like a, an intramural league? Are, are you good? Like what's give me the skinny here. Uh, I am not good. I was in a softball league like maybe two years ago, um, but I had to leave because they would play at like 10 o'clock at night on like a Thursday, on like a school night slash like work night. I still call them school nights. I'm like, I can't stay up <laughs> until 10 o'clock and play a softball game. Like I go to bed at like 8, 30, 9 o'clock. So to be up at 10 means you have like all that adrenaline and that juice running and then I don't go to bed till midnight that's just, it's not good. I'm not the best version of myself if I don't get eight hours of sleep. So that time frame of when the softball team played didn't really work with my schedule. And I wasn't good. So um, the athlete is better. <laughs> if I'm not immediately good at something, I, I want to quit. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, especially if you're going to be waking up to do Packer and Durham here more than you can't be going to bed at yes. midnight because you got to get your, your rest before this early show. <laughs> Um, now, we talked about two no-hitters already for ACC softball pitchers. This might be my favorite video of the entire weekend. Millie Thompson throws a no-hitter for Clemson. Very first postseason game ever at this stadium, McCorder in Clemson. And she needed 49 pitches to do it. And obviously, she got the game ball. And what she did with it uh, was absolutely awesome. This comes to us from Instagram. Uh, let's check out this video of Millie Thompson postgame. I mean, you don't beat that. Like, that's why sports are so great in a nutshell. Danny, you found this video. I know. She's giving the, the game ball to her dad. That's the coolest thing ever. I got a little emotional, and it's like a 10-second clip. And, again, I have no <laughs> allegiance to Clemson softball, but I was like, this is, this is wholesome. This is what the world needs to see. There's a lot of stuff that goes on that's not so great in the world, but that, to me, is why you play the sport. I think it's so special. Millie Thompson, another stud beast on the mound. Um, you know, that was the first time a Clemson Tiger has done that in the postseason. So for her to set that mark, and Clemson's really new. They're, they're in their infancy. And I think that's really encouraging if you're, whether you're a softball program, you know, we've got new lacrosse programs coming into the ACC, and you can sort of play off some of the success that these new programs have had. And watching a player like Millie Thompson, I think, gives you a lot of encouragement and a lot of confidence. So I'm super impressed. They're building something special at Clemson. Thompson paired with Valerie Cagle. I mean, that, that's a lethal one-two punch for the Tigers as they try to go to the College World Series. But, Dana, I think, you know, that clip, maybe one of the reasons it, it hits home, especially for you as a former athlete yourself. I mean, you know, like, the role that parents play in getting an athlete mm-hmm. to that point. That's why I think that clip was so special, why you saw the emotion from both Millie and her dad. I owe my parents a lot, probably a lot of money, too, for driving me um, – I'm from New Hampshire originally, so 
playing lacrosse in the summer, all those tournaments that you get recruited, we would drive from New Hampshire to Maryland. And I wasn't always um, the most pleasant teenager. Um, so I think we can all sort of relate to that. But um, I owe them a lot. And it's still to this day, like they'll watch all of my shows and, um, you know, on TV and, and give me good advice, some unsolicited. Um, but that's, I think, what parents do. Uh, but I think it's important. I think you know, recognizing that your parents really helped you get here. I, I was the oldest in my family and of siblings. And so I was the first one to really go through the college process and recruiting. And it's sort of the wild, wild west. So um, mom and dad, if you're watching, I'm, I'm sure my dad's watching. He, he gets up early uh, like me. So thank you. Well, shout out to the Boyles. Shout out to the Carters. I know we have at least four viewers on this Monday morning. Uh, let's talk about a different diamond sport. Let, let's flip over to baseball. Virginia Tech, their softball team's phenomenal. Virginia Tech baseball, what a year for the Hokies. They are the divisional champions. They're the one seed in the ACC baseball tournament, which starts tomorrow and goes through the entire weekend. It's a sweep for Tech over Duke to cap off the regular season. Uh, Their coach, John Sheff, has put together an incredible group this year. So good for Virginia Tech as they win the Coastal Division this year. I was doing some deep dive and I saw that Virginia Tech was picked to finish sixth in the Coastal Division. And then they went 19 and nine and earned the number one overall. So that is why at the beginning of the season, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Speaking to myself too, because I'm usually the analyst that says things like that. So, but huge, huge for Virginia (laughs) Tech. Amazing season for the Hokies. They're the top seed in the ACC baseball tournament in Charlotte this week. It'll be a blast to follow that all week on ACC Network. So that's in the coastal. Flip it over to the Atlantic. Louisville has made a habit of doing this. The Cardinals, ever since Dan McDonald took over in the Derby City, they have been the cream of the crop in the ACC, and they win the Atlantic division. Louisville is the second overall seed in the ACC tournament. You know, for, for Louisville, it's their fifth ACC regular season title in seven years in the league. That's basically a dynasty, Dana. <laughs> I mean, do you still celebrate the fifth one like you do the first one? I think, I think you have to, right? I, I think so. It looks like they're having a good time. Uh, I would hang the banner still. They might need some extra room, uh, maybe on the outfield fence, if they're going to keep winning these ACC championships. But you love to see the parity in the ACC so Louisville team was 18-11-1 in conference play. It's not like they just rolled through the schedule, uh, and they still win their division. So ACC baseball tournament is going to be super fun to watch this week in Charlotte. Elsewhere in baseball, North Carolina, they sweep FSU to close out the season. It's a Tar Heels program that has a lot of pride, and rightfully so. They've had a ton of success. You see FSU's got the number 20 next to their logo. So for the Tar Heels to sweep them to finish the regular <laughs> season, pretty impressive. And UNC was on the bubble. Like, they were a bubble team in the ACC, and they needed to have a good weekend, and they did. So they got it done. And that watching baseball in Chapel Hill is about as good as it gets. I mean, that is paradise. Lacrosse at Clockner and baseball in Chapel Hill, I would put those up there against anything. Let's run through a couple more baseball results from the final weekend of the regular season. Georgia Tech crushes Pitt, combined score 40-17. to in the sweep, Yellow Jackets over the Panthers, closing it out in style. I think Georgia Tech peaked a little bit later in the season than they would have hoped, but they inked their spot in the 12-team ACC tournament. I'm impressed not having played baseball in college or, or really followed it a lot in college. They play so many games. 
Like that to me is so surprising. And I know that may be a really silly thing to hear come out of my mouth, but I can't believe that they play so many games. And it, it, the beginning of the season doesn't matter as much as the end of the season. And playing in conference, I think, is really important. So the ACC is strong, and I'm fascinated by baseball and softball. I think I've become their number one fan. Can you imagine playing like 55 lacrosse games in a season? No, no, I, I truly cannot. <laughs> I could barely make it through four years without getting hurt. And I mean, the running, there's a reason why I ride a stationary bike now. We do not hit the pavement <laughs> often. Yes, yeah, no crushing pavement happening in Charlottesville. <laughs> uh, speaking of crushing, how about Clemson against Boston College? 26 to three, the combined margin in their sweep over bird ball. It's been a tough year for the Eagles, yes, but for the Tigers, this is a heck of a way to close it out and head into the ACC tournament. Uh, what a season for Max Wagner, too. You see the number 26. That's how many bombs he hit in the regular season, which is one off a of Clemson program record. So this Tigers team is in cruise control right now as they head to Charlotte for the ACC tournament. And again, another bubble team. So they had to have a sweep to keep the season in alive. And I, I was um, listening to some of the press conferences of their head coach, Monty Lee, and he said, before the ACC tournament, we had to have really big starts. Like that was our key to success. And I think they executed that game plan quite well. I'd say so. A sweep over BC to end the regular season. We mentioned Max Wagner. He's another best of the weekend with 26 home runs this year. This dude has been raking all season. He's slugging above 800. He's got an OBP above 500, both those best in the ACC. He wins the ACC home run title with 26 dingers this year. And Dana, you talked about the number of games they played. The, the program record for Clemson is Khalil Green with 27 back in 02. He played 71 games. The Tigers this year have only played 56. So Max Wagner has 15 more games to tie or break that record. This dude's crushing the ball. It's so impressive. And I don't know about you, but when I was watching, he makes it look so effortless. And I want to know his secret sauce. Like, I want to know the trick. How do you make crushing a ball look that effortless and that easy? I mean, do you hit the weight room? Are you just doing the bench press nonstop, maxing out? I, I, we got to know the secret. Is Max maxing out? I see what you did there, DB. That's good <laughs> stuff. So, listen, he's had an amazing season, but the guy who's really been the story in terms of tearing the cover off the ball in the ACC, at least at the start of the year, is Tommy Tanks. Uh, he ends up breaking the ACC freshman home run record, 23 bombs this year for the NC State freshman. Here's a guy who was a social media phenomenon. Even if you weren't watching baseball and crushing tape every night, you saw Tommy Tanks because this dude was built in an NIL lab, and he became a superstar <laughs> basically the minute he stepped on campus. And he's got some pretty creative bat flips. I think, I think we need to do a segment on creativity of bat flips and then lacrosse stick drops because I think you can get pretty creative with it. Yeah, those kind of come from the same family. The, yeah, the bat flip and the stick drop. I know Charlotte North has had some interesting stick drops over the years. So, yeah, maybe Tommy Tanks versus uh, Queen of the North. That'd be fun to see. And last best of the weekend <laughs> is FSU, Virginia, and Wake Forest women golf advancing to the fourth round of the NCAA tournament. It is a golf conference. 
We talk a lot about golf and for good reason on this show. I know Packer isn't here. He's really the golf guy. Played at Clemson, of course. Doesn't really play anymore, but still a big golf guy. So without Pack, we got to show love to the golf. And FSU, Virginia, and Wake Forest all moving on. I know you said he's not watching, but I hope at least he watches this segment. <laughs> we'll shoot him a quick text. I don't know if it'll go through because he's in Italy, but hey, get dialed in, Pack. How's your golf game? And we're here? talking Let's more talk golf. About your golf game. Well, well, luckily we need to take a break here, so I don't have to answer that question because my <laughs> golf game is in shambles. Um, and we're going to talk about worst of the weekend, which my golf game certainly qualifies for that. Also, more golf. Will Zalatoris comes oh so close in the PGA Championship. That and more coming up next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Talked about the crowd, Eric. They filed in rather nicely here today. Medjin fakes and scores. Or did she know? It it hit the side of the cage. Everybody had celebrated like the Eagles had scored, but I do not believe that ball, or Denver certainly does not believe that ball went in. Yeah, it was a good read by Sammy Morton. Morton kind of went right to the side of the net trying to pick up the ball. It looked like it might have, could have been one of those shots that it goes into the net then pops right back out. And wow, they're they're calling that a goal. Oh, wow. Again, the officials don't have the benefit of replay, of course, but for now that's going to stand and make it 9-5. to all right, so that's a pretty good way to cap off or begin worst of the weekend, I should say. Drew Carter, Dana Boyle, back with you here on Packer and Durham as Prince brings us back from break. You love to hear that. What you don't love <laughs> to see, Dana, is egregious missed calls like that. That was from BC's first game against Denver uh, in round two of the NCAA tournament. What, what happened there? How is that even possible? It was wild. I still sort of don't believe that the goal stood by the official, so... The ball went outside of the net, which that happens, or sometimes it can ricochet off the inside post. But this ball legitimately was outside of the net. And what blows my mind the most is that the officials talked about it, deemed it a goal, and then went and picked the ball up outside of the net and still said that's a goal. So I just, I don't understand. There's no instant replay in women's lacrosse, nor do I think that instant replay is the answer to a lot of the problems because the game is already too long for TV anyway. So I don't think instant replay is a good insert to the game and maybe a challenge, but the ball was legit outside the net. Like the goalkeeper at one point was like pointing to it, picked it out from the outside, showed it to the officials, put it back to where it was. And the officials were like, that's a goal. It stands. That was a close game. Denver played really well. I would be livid. I'm sort of surprised that the coach didn't get some sort of like yellow card for just losing her mind, rightfully so. Well, the only instant replay you need is going and picking up the ball from the outside of the net, which they had to do <laughs> for the game to continue. Um, in their defense, Jen Medjid shoots it really hard, so maybe they thought she broke the net, but obviously there was no hole in it. So uh, cannot um, figure out how, how that happened. But uh, BC is moving on. They are back in championship weekend, trying to make it five straight national championship games. That's how we start worst of the weekend. Let's move on to softball, where we talked about this a little bit earlier, but three teams are moving on to the Super Regionals from the ACC. 
Florida State, stunningly, is not one of them. Uh, ever since the Super Regionals entered the NCAA tournament back in 2005 when the format changed, a top two seed had never not made it to the Super Regionals. And that's what happens with FSU here. Just a shocker against a Mississippi State team that's never been to a Super Regional before. Uh, Bulldogs, as you can see, fired up and rightfully so. First top two seed not to make it, like we said with FSU. Previous top seed not to make it was three seed Texas back in 2011. So great season for the Seminoles. I thought that with their added power in the lineup this year, in addition to their amazing pitching led by Kat Sandercock, it could be this year, fresh off a trip to the College World Series final, but FSU falls against Mississippi State. We don't have to talk about that for too long. Still an awesome season for the Seminoles. <laughs> Women's tennis, Carolina and Duke, both tobacco road teams, fall in the NCAA semifinals. Not everyone can be UVA men's tennis winning the, na the national championship. <laughs> UNC and Duke both fall in the semifinals. They both had amazing seasons as well. Credit to Carolina and Duke. And then Virginia Tech baseball. They become known for the home run hammer over the last couple of years. Apparently, someone broke it. Now, we don't know who the perpetrator is here. <laughs> we don't know who is guilty of breaking the home run hammer, but we've got a photo here courtesy of at Hokies Baseball. They didn't make it to 100 home runs before they cracked it. 99 home runs, and someone broke the home run hammer. I got to be honest, I can't even see where the crack is. Um, it's, it's pretty grimy in the first place, but... We'll take Virginia Tech's word for it. Oh, there's, I thought that might have been a glare or something. We see it on, on the handle there. There's a big crack right down the middle. So Virginia Tech's hammer has been broken. Let's hope it's uh, repaired in time for the ACC tournament this week. But sticking in the Commonwealth, Dana, also worst of the weekend, Virginia men's lacrosse. They've been the kings of the sport for the last three years. They fall against Maryland in the, in the quarterfinals. They've been the champs since 2019, so it's, it's time for a new king in men's lacrosse. But I think the way that the bracket was distributed, and I just don't think that this mashup ever should have happened that early. But the Who's, don't count them out. The ACC will be back next year in men's lacrosse. I'm with you. We talked about it earlier in the show. Travesty that Virginia had to go on the road in the first round and then play Maryland in the second round. But still, great season for the Who's. Maryland will be a worthy champion if they're the team that wins it all and, and, and ends that Virginia dynasty. And then last thing over the weekend, you probably saw this yesterday, PGA Championship ends in a playoff. Will Zalatoris, oh so close yet again. The Wake Forest alum has now been second in two different majors. Did it in the Masters in 2020. Now he does it in the PGA Championship as well. Justin Thomas of Alabama knocks him off. He's a guy with PGA Championship experience. Wins his second Wanamaker trophy. Will Z in the post-round press conference said, I learned that I can do it, and he certainly can. This guy will be back, and he will be winning a major very soon and bringing one back to Winston-Salem. By the way, paired up with his former roommate at Wake Forest, Cameron Young, in the final mm -hmm. round of a major championship, that is pretty neat stuff. So Will Zalatoris comes oh so close in the PGA Championship. That wraps up Worst of the Weekend. We're positive vibes only, though, as we bring on Sydney Scales in our next segment. BC is moving back to the semifinals, and Sydney Scales is a big reason why. She was phenomenal in that win over Loyola. The all-defensive teamer joins us next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham is back, but we've got the kids' edition 
We got a Gen Z and a millennial running the show. So I don't know what that says about us, but hopefully Wes and Pac, we're making them proud, but we're here. We made it to 8.35, so I think this is a success for us, Drew. What do you think? I think so. The fact that we have not only not been fired yet, but haven't revealed the ACC Baseball Awards yet, and we've kept them embargoed until 9 o'clock Eastern when we will reveal them, is a huge success, Dana. I would agree. We got a special guest, probably one of my favorite players. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm going to say it. Um, Sydney Scales, <laughs> defender for Boston College, making her debut on the show. Sydney, good morning. How are you doing? Good. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for making the time. So this is your fifth straight season for Boston College. You're headed to the NCAA semifinals. It's your second season. You're a young defender. What does this mean to you? You've been there last year, but how is this year different for you? I mean, it means the world. It's really unbelievable to go back-to-back Final Fours. Obviously, last year was amazing coming in as a freshman, not really knowing what to expect. And then coming out with the national championship was great. And then this year kind of... You know, we knew it would be a hard year. We knew it would be harder. And then being able to get back to that final four is just, it feels amazing. We're not taking any days for granted. And I'm just in a great place. I'm very lucky to be there. Well, Sydney, you guys got a pretty stiff test from Loyola in Newton over the weekend. I was there to call that game and was so impressed watching you guys on both ends of the field. Um, From a defensive perspective, Sydney, what was the mindset going into a game against one of the best offenses in America? I think the mindset was just play BC defense. Obviously, they were great offensively, great coached, and um, we knew it was going to be a tall test, but we just needed to stick to our game plan. Um, We knew that they were a little different from other teams. They're a very heavy cutting team, um, and that just gave us a chance to, you know, work and play against something different, and we had to be really locked in to stop their cutting game, and I think we executed very well. We all spent a lot of time in South Bend together uh, during the ACC championship. And I remember you told me that you watch a lot of film on some of the tendencies. So if you're a young defender and they're watching Boston College and they're watching you because you're one of the best, what would you tell them to look for as you're marking up on an attacker? Um, I would say just look for, you know, some of the basics. Obviously, I try to just look at the number. Don't go for any of the stick takes. Um, Keep your feet moving at all times. Um, Try not to cross over, cross your feet over. Um, And then just using your physicality to keep them outside the eight meter are all keys to playing good 1v1 defense. Well, Sydney, we've got some of your stats up on the screen right now. 44 ground balls is most among anyone in the ACC among field players, so not including goalies, and 25 cost turnovers tops on your team as well. I'm curious, you know, you and Dana might be able to nerd out about this a little, but as someone who never played lacrosse myself, like, what goes into being a ground ball gobbler? Like, what makes you able to pick up so many of those ground balls? Um, I think it's a combination of things. Obviously, you know, being in the right place at the right time has a little bit to do with it. Obviously, just having the will to want to go get it and beat your girl to the ball and then just focus, you know, keeping your stick low to the ground, running all the way through it all components that um, are necessary to, you know, pick up that ground ball. I got to ask, because when I watch you, if I was a defender, I was a midi for a short period of time, and then they pushed me to the attack because I wasn't the best defender. But you're marking up against some of the best attackers in the country, and you're just a sophomore. Do you get nervous, and how do you handle that sort of pressure? Or do you feel pressure? 
Um, I mean, obviously you feel a little bit of pressure, but I think some things that help is just you knowing my teammates to have my back all the time on the field, everywhere. Everyone's always communicating with me, ready to slide if I need it. And then I think the other thing is just preparation. I think we prepare so hard every week um, and we focus on so many of the details, the big picture that when you get out there on game day, it feels kind of like, okay, we've already done this at practice. I know what I'm doing. And I think that helps take a lot of the pressure off. And Sydney, I mean, your unit, it, it's clear how close you guys are off the field with the way you play on the field, especially against a team like Loyola with all that cutting and all those weapons and you guys have to work together as one. Why do you think that this group is so close? Because we've talked to Bell Smith on this show. We've obviously talked to Charlotte North a bunch, and it's clear how tight-knit this unit is. Why do you think the team is so close? I think we just have so many different personalities um, that mesh so well together. Obviously, there's no two people are alike, and everyone kind of brings a different element to the team. You know, some people are more quiet, some are more outgoing, and I think having that balance of just all different types of people who ultimately are fighting for the same thing, a national championship, just bonds everyone together so tightly. Um, and we all know that at the end of the day, everyone has each other's backs, and everyone is there for each other. Um, and it's just, it's like a family community, and it's great. I know you came out in that North Carolina, the ACC championship game with a little bum ankle, but you're back healthy and we're all very happy. I think the lacrosse world is happy to see you back on the field, but I've been injured before. So being on the sidelines, did you have any sort of different perspective for the few games that you were sort of that player coach? Yeah, definitely. Um, Obviously being on the sidelines was tough, um, but I think it gave me a new perspective just, you know, as a teammate trying to be a leader from the sidelines and just trying to cheer my teammates on seeing, you know, okay, this is a reality for some people. Um, I'm lucky to be out there every day and I can't take it for granted, but um, I think it really helped me just gain perspective and be able to um, hopefully become a more like versatile leader and be able to do things other than just produce on the field. Oh, Sydney, now you're back in a big way. Uh, You guys are playing awesome lacrosse, 20 goals against Loyola. You're back on championship weekend. Obviously, you guys know how to win when you get to the final four. So what does it take to win a championship once you get to this stage? I think it just takes playing BC lacrosse. Obviously, it's a huge stage, and some people can have the tendency to try to do things that are not themselves um, and change the way they play. And I think it's just important for us to continue to play the way that we usually play and to play our best for 60 minutes every game. And I think if we do that, then we'll ultimately be successful in the end. So playing Maryland, you haven't played Maryland this season. Any sort of pressure? Give us the scouting report. I know Acacia Walker has a lot of experience. She played for Maryland. But what are you guys thinking going into this game? Um, Yeah, obviously Maryland's a great team. It's going to be a great test for us. Um, But I think regardless of who we're playing, it would be a great test. Um, And we just want to have the mentality to go in there and give them our best game, play our best lacrosse for 60 minutes and leave it all out on the field um, and leave nothing to chance. I know we've only known the matchup for a little bit here, but I'm curious if Acacia has talked to you guys at all about playing her old team. Like, what do you think that's going to be like for the coach with those emotions of playing the place that she played? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Acacia went there, um, probably bring back some memories for her playing against Maryland. But um, I think she's just focused on the bigger picture of us um, winning the game, 
trying to play our best lacrosse um, and kind of just focusing on the lacrosse aspect of it. But, um, yeah, I think obviously it's very interesting her playing her alma mater, but I think at the end of the day it's just going to come down to the lacrosse game on the field regardless of who we're playing. All right, we have to ask because Packer is not here. This is a question that gets asked of everyone who makes their debut on the show. So what has been your hardest class at Boston College thus far? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, probably a class I just took and just finished with, thank God, um, coding for business. Not, not my favorite. Um, we had to code, not a big coder, but um, got through it and glad to be done with it. Wow. That sounds tough. How do you even code? Cause I've heard about it, but never actually like seen someone do it. So how do you code? Um, we use like a app on the computer called uh, Jupyter lab and code through there. I don't really know different things. It's, it's very hard. <laughs> what do you want to do after you graduate? That's like the worst question ever, but um, I'm a business major, not very sure, but it was, it's like a required class for the business school. So I had to take it. Well, Sydney, I, I wanted to ask you this as well. I mean, you're from mass. I know you have some family who went to BC. Was it always Boston college for you or did you think about going anywhere else? Um, I think I've loved BC, um, since I was a little kid, um, obviously with it being close to where I lived, being a great school, great sports. Um, I think, you know, I looked at other schools, was open to other options, but I think deep down, I kind of knew, okay, if I could go here, if I could play lacrosse, that would kind of check all the boxes and that would be like a dream come true. So while I looked other places, I think deep down, I always knew that BC was the best fit and really where I wanted to end up. That's awesome. What's it like playing for Acacia? So I've known Acacia in her previous stints coaching, not quite at Boston College. She recruited me when she played at UMass, but she is such an infectious leader. And every time I have a coach's call with her, I'm like ready to suit up and go on the field. So what is that like playing with her and getting to interact or coaching, being coached by her and getting to interact with her? Yeah, I mean, I love having her as a coach. I think she has an energy that's just unmatched um, and it makes everyone else feel her presence at all times and gives us all even more energy. And I think she's so passionate about what she does and she wants to win so badly, which just creates a great culture here at BC. It makes us all want to win even more. Um, and I think she's just a great leader and I don't think we'd be in the position we were today without her. Yeah, she's awesome. I got a chance to go to your practice before the Loyola game and the positivity is, is something like I need in my life, you know, like I wish she would be there to hype me up, you know, and, and everything I do like like she does with, with your team. Uh, but now as you head into championship weekend, Sydney, I mean, you guys obviously did this last year. What is that whole experience like? Like, do you have time to like this year, will you be able to explore Baltimore and do some off the field stuff together or is it strictly business this weekend? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think, I think there'll be some time for us to hang out and, you know, Acacia is really about, you know, not taking things for granted and appreciating the moment. So I'm sure we'll take, we'll be able to take a step back at some point and just at least appreciate where we are, you know, even if it's just for a quick couple minutes, just because this is, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity and we're very lucky to be here. So I think, Hopefully we'll have some time to just step back and reflect and see um, what a great accomplishment this was and hopefully um, be able to do that. 
That's awesome, Cindy. I saw you guys maybe on social media last night. We're at someone's house playing spike ball, swimming, eating pizza. Is that part of the, the ramp up for the NCAA semifinals? Yes, definitely. We were able to go to our teammates' house um, yesterday and just kind of relax and do some team bonding, which was great. Um, and I help. I think, you know, doing activities like that off the field really just helps us all be even more connected off the field and kind of just take a step back for lacrosse for a second and just appreciate each other and our friendships. Who's the best spike ball player on the team? Ooh, that's a tough one. I'd say Holly Schleicher and Bell Smith are usually a team and they're, they're pretty good. Uh, they live on the beach, so they get a lot of practice in and I would not want to go up against them. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, they're both obviously amazing athletes, and I can imagine Belle Smith maybe talks a little smack when uh, when she's playing spike ball as well. I could see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Sydney Scales, thanks so much for joining us. You guys have your sights set on another national championship, and everyone here at the ACC is certainly pulling for you, especially in this first game as we try to establish some ACC supremacy over the Big Ten. Congrats on all the success, Sydney, and good luck this weekend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye, Sydney. Thanks. All right, Sydney Scales. Bye. Sydney Scales, Boston College, heading to a championship weekend in Baltimore. Dana Boyle will be there to see it all go down. And Bubba Cunningham, in case you missed it, he joined the show talking with Pack and Wes last week. And you know, it's a strange time to be an athletic director, especially at a school like North Carolina with everything happening with NIL. You don't want to miss that conversation. We're going to play it again next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Monday morning, Packer and Durham. The kids are all right here on ACC Network. We have made it almost to the top of the hour. No Pack. No Durham. Instead, we have Drew Carter and Dana Boyle filling in. And I know everyone watching is really, really missing Mark and Wes. So what we're going to do right now is flash it back to last week when they talked to Bubba Cunningham, the North Carolina athletic director, about what is a wild time in college athletics right now. It's a great conversation. Going to play about six and a half minutes of it. Check it out. Here's Bubba Cunningham. I don't feel like we're in great shape. I, I feel like we're trying to navigate new space like everyone else. And uh, some of the things we could anticipate, some of the things that uh, happened, we had no idea were coming. So I think our students have done an outstanding job. Our coaches have done a great job and the compliance staff in trying to facilitate uh, answers in a very uh, unsettled area, something that we don't know, you know, we have any history of doing before. And so I think we're, we're in good shape to navigate that space and provide uh, as much information and clarity as we can given the state that we're in. I think Bubba, there's, a, there's a lot to do going forward. Bubba, uh, after Amelia Island ended last week, and you're flying back on American Airlines, you and Tina, and like I said earlier, I knew we were in good shape when I saw you two get on board. Uh, what was the one thing you learned the most about last week where you said, all right, we, we've got some direction, we've got some clearance, we kind of have some guidance, and I feel that everybody in the room's on the same page. And there may be multiple answers to this question, but what, what do you feel the best about after leaving Amelia Allen that maybe before you got there, it was still a bit cloudy? 
Well, I think everyone really felt good about our league. You know, we had the longest meeting we've ever had with our football coaches. And we met for two, two and a half hours the very first day, talked about scheduling, talked about NIL, talked about all the different rules that are affecting college football. And I thought that was time really well spent. And then we had another hour meeting with the following day. We had an hour with the basketball coaches. We had an hour with the women's basketball coaches and each of them had a few different issues that were really important to them. And I think that's what really, I came away feeling so good about our league because our coaches are so engaged and we're so engaged with them. And then the other thing that we were able to do while we were down there is we had an hour with our presidents and CEOs. And so it, it was the first time they have met with all the athletic directors. They were on Zoom, we were in person. And I think as a league, we got on the same page. You know, we're talking about a very turbulent time in college athletics. There, we had consensus principles we have as a league. You know, we want to make sure that education is in the primacy of what we do. Health and safety is important. Opportunities and equity is extremely important. But then when you get to recruiting and fair play in this NIL area and transfer portal, in the concept of pay per player, what does that look like going forward? In the sustainability of college athletics as we move, what do those three things look like? They're going to be very, very different. And it was the first time all of us got in the room and said, okay, what do we think that looks like? We don't really know what the answer is, but at least we're having the conversation to say, it will be different and we need to be thinking about how to best serve our students in this new space. You know, you're not the first, you're, you're the first athletic director we've talked to post Amelia Island that told us about the collaborative nature of your meetings. I think we heard from what football coaches, Mark. I remember Dabo Sweeney in particular telling us he never felt better aligned with his peers in the head coach's room for football. Uh, Bubba, I don't want to qualify this league as up on a pedestal away from everybody else because I know that it's going to take everybody to get this sorted out. But does this feel like there's been a major breakthrough in teamwork here again, almost like the pandemic when you just knew you had to find a way? Now we know we got to find a way again to kind of calm the waters here? Yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's very unsettling for all of us. But I think all of us having a conversation and talking about it makes it a lot better. You know, all of us are uncomfortable because it's new. Uh, and we try not to be the old grumpy guy in the room say, hey, it's not what it used to be. Of course it's not, because everything is different and we're trying to navigate this new space. So I, I, I just think that this communication, being on the same page, I think Jim Phillips' leadership is outstanding. We have an awful lot of committees and subcommittees and you know that sounds really formal, but the best thing about it is we talk on a regular basis. So all the issues are known to each other. We don't have all the answers. We have to work through committees to try to move things in a, in a direction that may be helpful to us. But having the discussion on a regular basis means that we understand what the coaches are going through and we're trying to help them with solutions and trying to explain that nationally and what that might look like um, as we move forward. You know, one of the things that happened nationally that uh, you know, gave us an opportunity to at least talk about, you know, one division instead of two. Now mm -hmm. that the council has passed that, that opens up a discussion that it's not theoretical anymore, it's pretty practical and say, okay, if we want to do this, this is how we can go about doing it. Well, that was going to be my next question. The Pac-12 this week, it did not take long for George Klikoff yeah. to say, listen, we're going to have our two best teams play for a conference championship. I know that was a huge conversation piece last week in Amelia Island. Do you get a sense, again, you're allowed to change your mind, obviously, but do you get a sense that the ACC is probably going to follow that path based on conversation? 
Well, I don't know if that's a, a definite answer that we're going to follow that path. I, I think there are some people that still like the divisions. I think there are some that, you know, you, hey, I can win the Coastal, I can win the Atlantic. And so you do have, quote unquote, a couple of winners as opposed to getting to the championship and only one team winning. But during the pandemic, when we, you know, we didn't play a non-conference schedule, we did go to a single division and Notre Dame ended up playing Clemson in the ACC championship game. And I think all of us said, oh, that was a pretty good outcome. And so I, I think that really opened up our eyes to looking at that possibility. So. As we've joked about before, you know, I, I've been in the league 10 years now, and if we have three meetings a year, that's 30 meetings. I'd say 27 or 28 of those meetings, we talked about nine games, eight games, one division, <laughs> two divisions, changing the divisions. And so that's just what we do. And at some point, we will make a change. Okay, well, Pastner told us he'd like to play 28 conference basketball games. You want to tackle that one for us while you're here? Oh my gosh! I, I, I personally think that, uh, per, and boy, did I uh, did I get some questions in the uh, with the basketball coaches about why the ACC only got five teams in the I, tournament and we ended up with the best record in the tournament. So, playing twenty games, I think actually hurt us a little bit this year. Um, I do think some of our non-conference scheduling um, was was impactful, and I think having two fewer non-conference games hurt us a little bit. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of playing more games. So I, I have to disagree with Josh on that one. Great stuff from UNCAD, Bubba Cunningham there, and crazy time to be an athletic director, and uh, Carolina, especially a place where they could certainly take advantage of some NIL deals for sure. Bubba Cunningham, good to have him join. Packer and Durham last weekend, uh, but Pack and Durham are not here, and uh, what we're doing next <laughs> is big. We've got ACC awards in baseball. Pitcher of the year, defensive player of the year, freshman of the year, coach of the year, player of the year. We're announcing all of them on Packer and Durham right after this. Packer and Durham.